This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Ortho Joe Show, a joint production of the Journal of Bone and Joint Surgery and Ortho Evidence. In our world, orthopedic research is king, and current topics from our respective publications are analyzed weekly. Here is Mohit Bhandari from OrthoEvidence and Mark Swinkowski from the Journal of Bone and Joint Surgery. Well, good morning, Mo. Good morning. I, I know you just got back into town from a trip out west, and I just arrived in the journal office here in Needham. We have a big celebration going on in the office today. Marsha Tomaselli is retiring. She's been the director of our CME and has been uh, just so critical in the development of clinical classroom and our CME efforts, and it's kind of a happy, sad day to see Marsha yeah. go, but she'll get a lot of accolades, which is well-deserved, but I've got my my Ortho Joe mug, which is a little hard to see with this background, but I'm ready to go, so. Me too, uh, me too. So whenever we get notified that we don't have a special guest, I always go to the most recent uh, issue of the journal, and a manuscript uh, caught caught my eye uh, this go around, which isn't the greatest science, uh, mind you, but is a very, very important uh, clinical thing in terms of decision-making. And it's about amputation surgery in diabetics. Uh, and it's a, uh, you know, a level three study that comes out of Haifa, Israel, actually was just in Haifa last fall. It's a beautiful, beautiful town. And it's from Dr. Ron et al. And what they were doing was looking at their cohort of 341 patients, diabetics, uh, who underwent uh, transmetatarsal amputation. Of course, one of the basic principles we're all taught as orthopedic surgeons is try to preserve length with an amputation uh, for energy consumption purposes, uh, prosthetic fitting reasons, et cetera. So it's important to understand what leads to failure and of course, diabetics are perhaps the largest group of patients who sadly come to amputation surgery. And so they tried to identify uh, in this cohort what were the risk factors for uh, failure uh, at that uh, TMA level. And it basically turns out that it's kidney disease as uh, defined uh, by a prior transplant or need for dialysis. And uh, the comorbidity index, the Charleston comorbidity index, you know, is a, is a measure of how ill an individual is. Both of those things uh, were highly predictive of uh, failure of the uh, lower level of limb amputation. So it's a useful contribution to the literature, despite the fact that it's not, you know, the best research design. But I actually have some experience with the whole issue of uh, limb salvage versus amputation and trauma. And I was part of the network that did the LEAP trial back in the 90s, led by Ellen McKenzie uh, at Hopkins and, and Michael Bossie at the Carolinas, an eight center retrospective uh, cohort study. Obviously, 
you can't do randomized control trial limb salvage versus amputation. That's just flat out unethical and impractical. Uh, so I have an interest in amputation surgery, but I would like to just, if I could, just pick your brain as to what the experience at, at OE has been on amputation surgery. And what are your thoughts about what, what is the highest level of evidence we, we can glean really in amputation surgery? Yeah, you know, Mark, so it was interesting to me because, you know, you would think like, you know, in orthopedics, you know, when someone says you have a patient with, you know, diabetes, whether it's type one or two, it has a whole chain of algorithms that go through your mind. And you're always thinking about, you know, a host of things and, you, you know, including all the way up to, you know, will this patient ultimately, you know, be able to salvage their limb because diabetic, you know, with trauma can have lead to all kinds of issues. But, but the interesting point was, we don't have a lot of randomized trials. I mean, as you recall, ortho evidence really focuses on randomized clinical right. trials. So in the 10,000 or so trials that we have in our database, given how pervasive diabetes is, we found 18 trials. And the thing that's so interesting is of those 18, there's a small proportion that are actually like focused primarily on therapy. Like, you know, like there's a couple on drug trials, one on cannabis, probably related to some of the other you know, effects. But and the key outcomes, pain reoperations and wound dehiscence. So even the even the idea of secondary, you know, uh, amputation isn't really being a, an area of focus of some of these trials. And the majority are still occurring in North America. So we're not seeing a lot, lot of this work happening outside. So if it's nothing else, it tells us a couple of things. One is maybe trials just aren't feasible in the types of questions we're asking. Although I do think we probably could do better at you know identifying questions in which we can trial. But I think the majority of the evidence we're going to see is going to be observational data sets. And that doesn't mean it's a negative. It just means that a lot of things in diabetes are questions of prognosis, which is, you know, what factors predict an outcome. And typically that's, you know, a question of prognosis and an observational design than it would be is which treatment is better, in, you know, in the management of patients with, di you know, with diabetes. Now, again, we're talking about orthopedic focused topics and diabetes, thousands of trials but we're talking related to orthopedic uh, patients. So you're right. It is, uh, there's a real opportunity here, uh, a real opportunity to, to, to develop uh, networks. And I suspect there probably are. Um, and it's also not that surprising that you're seeing studies in the two or 300 range, but you got to remember, there should be thousands and thousands sure. of patients, right? Uh, available. If, if I could, I will tell you about one study we did find. Now, again, this is published, you know, 15 some odd years ago, actually, but it was a therapeutic trial. And I guess we all know, right, for the most part, you know, in, in, in our field, we, we have a pretty good sense that, you know, it's about glycemic control. We keep, you know, it's told to us, you know, you need tight glycemic control, and that'll help with all the microvascular complications. But there was this whole train of thought that getting your lipid profile in check, getting your triglycerides in check would is another less, again, this is some years ago, less focused on area. So there was trials that really focused on lipid lowering and triglyceride lowering um, a medication. So there was one trial particularly that we found on phenofibrate. And it actually was a, a large study of 9,000 patients. There was an observational with type two diabetes. And sorry, it wasn't observational, sorry. It was a type two diabetes and they were randomized actually to receive daily treatment with phenofibrate or a placebo. And lo and behold, they in fact did find a significant reduction in amputations as a result of an individual suffering for uh, you know for lower extremity amputations in patients with type two diabetes. So 
there was some suggestion that there was a benefit there. And there was also a 10-year survey follow-up that identified um, this was in diabetes care in 2011. So you can see this stuff is well over a decade old. Yeah. But again, large numbers of patients, 28,000 patients, diabetic patients with a baseline triglyceride uh, value. And then what they did is they looked at hypertriglyceridemia as yeah. being a fairly potent risk factor. So, and also dose response, the higher it was, the, the more yeah. risk you had of having uh, amputation risk. Now, um, you know, should we be using some more of the medical information to guide us? Probably so, um, but it really, to me, highlighted the need um, for us to be thinking about the same types of consortiums we have in hip fractures, the same types of consortiums we have in total joint orthoplasty in sports, to be thinking about some of the medical uh, issues and the complications that are associated with them. You and I interviewed Michelle Garrett and uh, the seminal contribution of the, a multi-center trial in the prevention of infection and tumor surgery. So I think if the, the tumor surgeons can get together and establish these networks, it's pretty obvious that groups of surgeons dealing with these uh, limb salvage problems should really be able to form uh, networks. But as you point out, most likely what we're going to be talking about if we were to ever consider randomized trials is prevention of limb loss, um, yes. interventions to prevent limb loss, because it, right. it is just hard to conceive of how you could approach a patient saying, you know, we want to do a randomized trial of a transmetatarsal amputation versus a BK. No. And no, that, okay. that's no. just... No, I mean, is, yeah, 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 right. And I think the truth is, is like, you know, and then is that the questions are often uh, ones of prognosis, right? I mean, the questions that was asked in this particular study that you presented uh, in the journal was really one of prognosis. What are the factors associated? What risk factors are associated with someone having, you know, a reamputation, you know, right. after a forefoot uh, amputation to begin with? And so they were looking for these causative factors, which itself would be these large mm -hmm. observational core studies. What we'd be thinking about, to your point, would be, you know, after, let's say, a, you know, an ankle fracture or some sort of thing, you know, is there a, you know, treatment A versus treatment B, two active treatments? I don't think you could right. really not treat these patients, you know, in, in an opportune way. But if there's equipoise there, you could look at, okay, what's the long-term impact? But that's thousands of patients. You're seeing yeah. these effects being seen when you get to about 10,000 patients. So that's going to be amputation still. As, as much as we think it's a dreaded complication, just the same thing as infection, I mean, you know, a devastating infection after a total joint replacement being 1% or so, mm -hmm. it's still devastating, but we need big, big numbers to be able to you know, identify those differences. And the question, I guess, is, is it worth the energy cost um, of running these trials? And I would say, yes, it is, because the absolute impact of, you know, you know, an amputation on patients is pretty, pretty dramatic. And also just if you think about the whole psychological impact of that, pretty, pretty dramatic. Yeah. Well, it also we, in the, as a longer term follow-up of the LEAP trial, we actually demonstrated that prevention uh, of amputation by limb salvage really does solve an economic issue because at seven years, the average patient in the LEAP trial had had five prostheses and multiple socket changes, et cetera, et cetera. So whereas with the limb salvage is more costly, uh, more uh, involvement of the patient being hospitalized, multiple surgeries, et cetera, in the first two years, the amputees, that's a lifelong thing. Uh, and uh, instead of coming to see the orthopedic surgeon, they're seeing the prosthetist on a regular basis. So it's not, 
it's not, you know, the problem's over uh, by an amputation. Yeah, and I think, and I think the, I mean, one of the key messages here is, I don't think we can be doing, you know, this, this type of research in silos. I mean, this is absolutely a medical collaborative opportunity for us, right? Making sure we have our colleagues who manage diabetes or the endocrinologists, our internists, you know, our, our physiotherapists, our rehab specialists, everyone who's our occupational therapists, these groups need to be coming together with the surgical groups and, uh, you know, identifying optimal uh, programs and networks the same way we've done it. Again, I'll keep saying it again and again with hip fractures and others, yeah. right? We realize that the ultimate advancement of, of, of care in patients, orthopedic patients with diabetes mm -hmm. are going to likely come from networks that yeah. are interdisciplinary. Not a different hip screw. That's and right. We, we've yeah. kind of shown that. I think to, we've shown that to, to yeah, a yeah, yeah. degree of certainty. Absolutely. Yeah, well, the other the other thing I found was uh, fascinating on the comorbidity side is a a big issue, of course, with diabetics is prevention of ulceration on the sole of the foot and transmetatarsal amputation is tough because often these patients have tight heel cords. So when you do that more distal amputation, there's pressure on the the edge of the the, the surgical margin. But you know the the whole comorbidity thing, a big part of the management of diabetes is eye disease. And if, if you have very poor vision, it's pretty hard to look at the bottom of your feet and look at areas that might be reddened or swollen or uh, having undue pressure. And, you know, I, I think developing strategies to help individuals with, with eyesight deficit to, to, to help, you know, I, I can imagine a, a number of potential interventions to try to assist individuals with ulcer prevention, uh, which is you know, that, that's where it generally starts is with ulceration and then infection that can't be solved. So it, it really is a team sport. So you'd be, you can imagine a network that was collaborating with ophthalmologists and, and people who can design computer-based ways of uh, providing images to patients so that they can see them with enhanced uh, detail, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. No, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I fully agree with everything you've said. We need to be finding these strategies. I mean, and the truth is, like, as soon as you start looking into the medical literature, you start seeing massive, massive uh, numbers because, and so then these networks of patients and groups exist. I think what we need to be doing in orthopedics is to be tapping into our local networks, right? So there'll be, you know, if, if there is large, you know, groups of endocrinologists or internists who are looking at this topic, it behooves us to be sort of, uh, you know, connecting with them and trying to find out, you know, you know, how they're connected, where their sites are, how these trials are being run. And can we also find either primary, if we lead them, or secondary orthopedic questions that could be right. become part and parcel of these very large programs for cost efficiency, but also to make sure we get data that's going to help us also manage orthopedic patients. Yeah. Well, that's a great way to to end it, and you know, part of part of our, uh, I, I hope what we produce with OrthoJo is is perhaps somebody's listening who's working in this field, and maybe to stimulate them to to start establishing a network, or at least searching out what's currently available on the on the medical side uh, in diabetes management to to tag on and and really uh, help uh, to prevent uh, amputations uh, as well as to identify what's uh, successful in preserving length. So. Listener who's out there, go get it.
And, and I might even add just um, a further uh, call is if you hear something and you think that, hey, I think that, you know, Mo's totally off base here on, on it's, it's quite possible I am too. So <laughs> feel free to, you know, to send us a note and say, listen, I can, I have some clarifying information or if you have an idea for someone you think would be informative to help us uh, speak with, you know, send us your suggestions and send us your topics and send us other potential guests we could have. We're always looking and always open to that. So thanks. Yeah. Perfect. Thanks, Mo. Enjoy your uh, coffee and uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right, take care. Cheers. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.